I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Does anyone really know the real you? Probably not. Probably not, other than, of course, dad. But here's why. Even with those we we love most, we still protect our heart. We protect our heart mostly by exposing only as much as we think we can and still be safe from being rejected. So if there's something, especially if it's something rotten in there, I think, I don't want to show that. We don't. And so... uh, it really, gets, it really gets to be a problem when we try to hide any part of our heart from God. Because then, like Adam and Eve, uh, we only end up hiding from our only hope. Our only hope of finding the love and acceptance and forgiveness and healing and renewal and transformation that our aching heart so desperately desires. Which is why it needs to be circumcised. And trust me, you're going to need to get comfortable with that word today. <laughs> so maybe I thought maybe it would help because it's just, I'm, it's in the scriptures today over and over. And I thought maybe it would help to make us more comfortable if I told you uh, a story, maybe, maybe one of my most embarrassing stories about how I first learned what circumcision was. Because I was way too old. It was eighth grade. It was eighth grade and a girl explained it to me in front of the class because I asked. Because I didn't know what it was. Mrs. Ellis was teaching about Nazi Germany and the question came up how they knew who was a Jew and who wasn't and there was several ways but within this list was circumcision and she quickly moved on and I raised my hand and I don't know what that word is and so I raised my hand and I asked what it was and she scolded me and said stop trying to make the class laugh because I, did I mention that the whole class started laughing at me. No, I didn't know. So I told her that I really didn't know, but she was too embarrassed to explain. So she asked if someone could whisper it to me. And so everyone turned and looked at me as this girl got up. (laughs) I don't know what it is. This girl gets up, walks over, and it was funny because Susan and and Debbie were here this morning. I don't know if Kathy's here, but all three were in my class. I said, if it was you, because I can't remember who it was, or you know who it was, tell me. Uh, she comes over, whispers in my ear, and without trying to be funny at all, I said to Mrs. Ellis, they do what to the what? (laughs) And and Mrs. Ellis just nods like, it's true. And I just didn't believe it. And I looked around at the class like, come on, come on. And everyone in the class going, So at recess, I got together with my buddies, and I said, boy, aren't you glad we're not circumcised? And they said, we are. And I said, but she said they cut the end off. Which is why I said they do what to the what. And this is Ellis, and you all just went, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's my story of how I learned what it was and what it wasn't. Last Sunday, we spoke about those superficial, highly visible identity markers that allow anyone of any group of any kind to have a sense of security and belonging 
and acceptance. And they're not, <clears throat> they're not bad, they're not wrong, uh, it's just what we do. So for instance, if I say Boy Scout, what we all picture are their most visible identity markers. The problem comes, like we said last week, the problem comes uh, when we make them sacred and we mistake the, the identity markers as the substance that they're supposed to reflect. And so I told you about the, the big three uh, most used by the Jews of Jesus' day to reinforce their identity as God's chosen people. And they were uh, dietary laws and holy days and circumcision. And I said, these are, the, these are the three that they just, in the scriptures, this is all they're arguing about. First with Jesus, then with his disciples, then with the, especially with the Apostle Paul. But by far, that last one there, that last one is the first and foremost of the big three. It's got to be the granddaddy, and I think ever, of all identity markers. Because God had said to their granddaddy, Father Abraham, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old, remember that, eight days old, must be circumcised. And just quickly, you gotta wonder, why do you suppose God picked that particular part? You know, that just seems a little weird and uncomfortable to talk about. It's like, why, why are you doing that? I can, and I'll, if it was me, I easily picture Abraham saying, uh, Lord, how about this instead? Uh, um, we just lop off an ear, cut off a finger. I'd be good with that. But the promise was all about our Father Creator sending salvation to the world through the procreation of Father Abraham. And so it made sense. And, and it's a big celebration uh, when, when the, they snip the babies. <laughs> snip just sounds better, doesn't it? I just thought it's more comfortable saying snipped. It's like the old joke, uh, my, my buddy got snipped, a real, real cheap snip job the other day. Total ripoff. <laughs> Plus, that's good, I like a groaner once in a while. Plus it was very practical because, and I, I mean this sincerely, a few times every day, no matter how hectic the life or busy the schedule, nature forced every male to contemplate the covenant that God had given them. Kind of hard to ignore. And so we're told in Romans 4 that Abraham received the sign of circumcision, which was a seal of the righteousness that Abraham had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So see this, it was the, the faith was not in the circumcision. That was, a, that was a sign of the seal of his righteousness. Abraham and his offspring apparently were signed, sealed, ultimately delivered by Jesus, but many mistook the sign on the surface for the meaning of its message. And so you may not be aware of this, but after Christ, this became a, huge, a big argument in the church, in the, in, the gospel, in the New Testament, not the Gospels, but in Acts and the letters. Because after Christ fulfilled the promise made to Abraham and brought a new covenant uh, they weren't ready to let go of the old sign. So there were Jesus-following disciples, they're called Judaizers in the scriptures, who were pressuring non-Jewish believers to receive Jesus Christ 
as their savior, and then to be circumcised in order to complete their salvation. And oh boy, the apostle Paul didn't take to that too well. <laughs> There's ample scriptures where he says things like what he wrote to the Philippians, watch out for those dogs, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. Remember Jesus said, don't, don't give what's holy to dogs. He says, you watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, because they're perverting the very essence of salvation by grace, through faith in Christ. He says, those mutilators of the flesh, because that's all it is now. Uh, not that circumcision is bad, but that they're using it to say you need Jesus and this. Well, then that's just mutilating everything. If anyone else thinks he has, now he kind of gives his reason. Now I can speak, he's saying. If anyone else thinks that he has uh, reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, there's that eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Hey, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, meaning that got me in the good with all you guys, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Because what Paul once believed was earning him points with the Lord, he now fully understands, was actually only serving to displace the work of Christ on our behalf and actually disqualify him from the grace of God. So he threw it all out. He goes on to say, not having a righteousness of my own, you know, a work up that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. This is the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so I hope you'd like to see what he's talking about because I had a project this week um, and it was a pretty big project. I decided because these little, these little statements are made all throughout the books and all and I thought, okay, I attempted to uh, piece together and reassemble Paul's uh, logic, his argument, and his basis from the Old Testament for what was going on. Here's half of it. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. That, that, that nature that trusts in identity markers and religious rules of our own works of the flesh. Because Moses himself had said, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, said Moses. And that heart procedure is not with a, a physical circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the actual circumcision done by Christ. After all, it was also Moses who was pretty clear 
The, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live instead of being destroyed. For God warned them that destruction would come through Jeremiah. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah, and then notice, and inhabitants, as men and women, of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it, which it did 40 years after the cross in 70 AD, and Jerusalem and all of Judah was destroyed. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord through Jeremiah, Old Testament prophet, that, look at this, that I will, I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Because it's always been about the heart. And he will destroy on this mountain, warns Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. The surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Paul says, but their minds were made dull for to this day. And at the time of this writing, they're just a few years away from that destruction coming. But to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. For in Christ Jesus, ah, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation in the heart, making us right in God's sight. You see, a man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. And so when Moses' uh, written code is, is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone, anyone, turns to the Lord, well, the veil is taken away. For Christ, Christ became a servant to the circumcised in order to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Right? Because God said to Abraham, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Not only Jew, but Gentile, the whole world. This is my covenant. I will be your God and the God of your descendants. This is my covenant. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's my covenant, God says. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. And so, Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. When eight days were completed for the circumcision of Joseph and Mary's child, his name was called Jesus. 
And after eight days, after Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to the disciples in the upper room and gave them new birth, eight days after that, his disciples were again inside. For God had said by the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so eight days later, Jesus appeared again, said to them again, peace to you. And he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, the new heart taking away the old bitter one. And so now Paul says, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. It's a process. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, so that means, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge, in the image of its creator, uh, creator, this is the end of the sentence. Here, there's no Greek, no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. You see, this might come as a surprise, ladies, but you are all sons of God by way of this analogy. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Why? <laughs> For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So there is neither male nor female in this regard. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. For we are the circumcision. We are the body of Christ. We are the reality of the authority that the superficial sign always only and ever signified. We are the circumcision. This is Paul's whole point. That he builds it. We are the circumcision. We who worship God in the spirit, not in following rules, who rejoice in Christ Jesus above all else and need nothing else for our salvation and have no confidence in the flesh, our works, the things we add. Because the utmost marker was actually the foremost foreshadow all along. Turns out it is all about, and we know this, it's all about internal change, not external activity. Always was. It's all about exposing our heart our most vulnerable part to dad. So when we're next tempted to rest on some reassuring religious marker or rule or ritual, we best remember that the righteous will live by faith. So watch out for those dogs, you know. It doesn't matter if it's circumcision or catechism or confirmation or communion. The ceremony means a nothing if it's not directly related to a dynamic, personal, scriptural, spiritual relationship 
with our Father through our Savior who died to cleanse our heart and connect us to dad. In fact, at best, at best, the ritual can only reflect the reality. And whenever a believer walks in willful disobedience, they cancel everything the rituals stand for. So going back now, after Paul's warning regarding those dogs and uh, boasting about his faultless legalistic righteousness and his desiring of a righteousness through faith in Christ alone, I like that he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Because <laughs> you see, immaturity, immaturity says, look how far I've come. Maturity says, go ahead and look how far I have to go. Because transparency is the true identity mark of maturing in the Lord. Paul says, but I press on. I haven't made it yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, again, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And this is a very touching Scripture, and I want to explain, because for one, like Paul, the longer I've been growing as a Christian, the more aware I am of my own inadequacies, limitations, weaknesses, and faults. But not only that, the more I mature in Christ, the more willing I am to share them. Because who knows who it just might help? Do you have regrets? That's a, of course you do. Of course you do, I do too. Really, it's a rhetorical question because you might not understand this or know it, but we all do. We all have regrets. So what are yours? We'd like to hear. We'd like to hear what your regrets are because let's face it, really the, it's really the most uh, interesting thing about you. It really is. We're very interested in hearing your regrets. Who knows who it just might help. Here's why that scripture is so touching. Because the Apostle Paul really, really regretted murdering and torturing and imprisoning so many of Jesus' first followers. Can you even imagine the guilt that must have clung to his heart. No human hands could have removed it, but Christ could. So when Paul says, forgetting what's behind, he isn't advocating amnesia. He's certainly not asking us to deny or evade our past but to disable its power. Because we poison ourselves. We poison ourselves by dwelling on the past. We're, we're, we're our worst enemy. 
When it comes to poisoning ourselves, it reminds me there was two snakes slithering along. One, one asked the other, uh, are we poisonous? And the other one says, I don't know why. And he says, ah, because I just bit my lip. <laughs> We're poisonous. By all means, learn. Learn from the past, but don't dwell on it. Just, you know, snip it in the bud. Let it go. You can't win that race looking over your shoulder. Because you know what happens, you try to run, look it over your shoulder. Well, you'll just remember the test and forget the lesson. And that's why it's so important, whatever it is that's behind you, to face it. Face it, forgive it, confess it, grieve the losses and the consequences, whatever else you have to do to release it. Release it! And then after you've released it, and Christ has taken it, the next time you catch yourself pondering past regrets and telling yourself you're unworthy, bite your lip. Just bite your lip. Remind yourself it's poison. Technically venom. <laughs> Don't focus on the nonsense that you should dismiss with a snip, snip, snip. And don't dismiss the substance that you should focus on with that bump, bump, bump. It's a fight to the finish. And if you're coasting, well, I'm pretty sure you're going downhill. So who's a true Jew? Well, without Christ, no one. But with Christ, well, anyone can be, should be. If, if you, if you belong to Christ, then you are. Then you are Abraham's seed. And not only that, heirs according to the promise. But we got to stand firm. We got to stand firm against those good for nothing, dirty dog, Jesus plus something else, superficial religious identity markers, and work on putting our total trust in Christ. Because religion, religion, not so much our friend. Religion says do, Jesus says a did. And the good news of the gospel says, done. There's no degrees. No degrees of justification through Christ. What's done is done. Trust it or not. And I guess we're done. So <laughs> let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We cherish you. We worship you as the ultimate meaning of life. So Holy Spirit, when it comes to what's behind us, empower us to face it, forgive it, confess it, grieve it, or what, whatever else it takes to righteously snip it in the bud. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you. Desire to express our faith through your love. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.